This podcast is brought to you by Bet Rivers. Download the Bet Rivers app from the App Store or Google Play Store. Must be 21. Available in Ohio only. Void where prohibited. Terms and conditions apply. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler. Sports gaming is provided in partnership with Dayton Real Estate Ventures, LLC, DBA, Hollywood Gaming at Dayton Raceway. If you're a tennis fan, you'll love betting weekly game bet match on the Bet Rivers Network. Whether you're a better or just love tennis, you'll enjoy the in depth analysis each week of the tennis calendar. Subscribe to Game Bet Match today from your favorite podcast provider. It's the Mike Francesa Podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to the Mike Francesa Podcast. A little bit of a potpourri in this podcast today. Uh, we'll do some baseball down the line with Bobby Ballantyne. As we move a little deeper into the month of April with uh, some surprises and uh, some decent play uh, from the Yankees and, you know, erratic play from the Yankees and very, very strong play from the Mets, who yesterday did something they hadn't done in a very long time, 1979, which was sweep a doubleheader from the San Francisco Giants, who are a very, very good uh, baseball team. So that was an impressive display by the Mets, who are off to a uh, fast start under uh, Buck Showalter. All right, I want to begin with the NBA, though. As you know, it takes them a couple of weeks to play these series. You know it takes them a couple of weeks to play these series. They like to spread them out. Uh, there's no question about that. So you got days in between these games. But really a very, very big issue has arisen And that, of course, the injury uh, to Booker. Now, last night, about halfway through the third quarter, after a 31-point first half, he gets hurt. He injures the other hamstring. He had had problems during the season. He missed seven games with a left hamstring problem. Now this is the right hamstring. Remember, he also hurt his hamstring during the finals last year and didn't tell anybody. And that plagued him from games... Well, depending who you listen to, really late game three all the way through the rest of the series, uh, one of the reasons why they may have uh, fallen a little short. There were a lot of other reasons, too, in a series that I thought they really uh, should have won. But everybody has forecast big things for the Suns, who are, I thought, opening the playoffs ahead above everybody else. What they can't sustain is an injury to their best player. And now the series is 1-1. As last night, the Pelicans came uh, from behind and won that game, played very well down the stretch. Ingram, McCullum, even Alvarado had a couple of big baskets, and they fall short. The Suns do so. The Suns now go to the Wallens with the series 1-1, looking at a longer series than they had anticipated, but also with a huge question mark, which we haven't answered yet. We'll know more by tomorrow on what the status is of Booker. Now, in these playoffs, clearly, there's no doubt about it. What it comes down to is how you have, what kind of night you have from three. I mean, it's not any more complicated than that. These games, if you look night after night, 62, 75, 77 threes attempted in these ball games. Last night, again, 76 attempted in the Atlanta game. A a lot of misses from the Hawks. A very, very tough night for Young, who has really been embarrassed in the series by the Heat defense. 
They have turned him over. They have caused him all kinds of trouble. He's whining about the officiating. Uh, never a good sign. And he has had a very, very tough series through two games. And Jimmy Butler, who usually raises his game significantly in the postseason, has uh, played really very, very well and is a exceedingly dangerous player this time of year. I, I think one of the one of the really better players this time of year. You can expect big things from him. You really can. Uh, night in, night out. But you see the number of threes that are shot. You see how many open threes teams are able to get. Such lacking defense in transition. Lacking defense in a lot of these games. I mean, you watch, and some of these teams do such a terrible job of guarding the three on the perimeter against teams like Golden State, which you know are going to shoot it all night. They're going to put four guys on the floor who can shoot it every time they get their hands on the ball, and you have to be able to deal with that. If you can't, you can't beat them. That's all there is to it. They're going to shoot threes. They shot 40 in their 126-106 win the other night, and in that game, if you look, you get 10 three attempts from Poole. Eight from Thompson, 10 from Curry, and then spread out the others, three here, four here, four here, three here, and you wind up shooting 43s in the game. The other thing that has become very obvious is the emergence of young players. Now, Poole has been developing all year, and they have done a sensational job of developing Jordan Poole. Give the coaching staff credit for that. Give the organization credit for that. They have done a really terrific job. And he has had a sensational start to the series. As a matter of fact, he almost broke Will Chamberlain's record of 63 points for the first two games in a playoff career. I mean, 63 doesn't sound like a lot for Will, and it's not. I mean, the number could have been 90 or 88. But the uh, number was 63, and he almost broke it. But Poole, who has you know, quietly developed... Eight points, then 12 points this year, 18 points. But now coming really to the four as a dynamic force in their team. But look elsewhere. Doncic hurt for the, Cavs, uh, for the Mavs, and look what Brunson has done. Now, Brunson's an old favorite of mine because he's a Villanova guy who won two championships at Villanova, who won player of the year at Villanova. But look at his development. He's a second-round pick that the other night, all he did was put up 42 points. I mean, think about it, 42 points. He has had a sensational playoff performance. How about Tyrese Maxey, the former Kentucky player, who was taken with a 21st pick by the Sixers, 38 points in game one, 23 points and a splendid all-around game in game two. So all of a sudden... You're seeing these guys not just emerge as players, but emerge as dynamic scoring forces in these playoff games. Dynamic scoring forces. I mean, if Butler gets 45, you're not shocked. I mean, whatever Curry might score, even if it's like the other night where coming off and playing sixth man, he, you know, averages more than a point a minute which is, you know, exceedingly impressive. But still, Curry played 22 minutes, scored 34 points. Remarkable with the game he had. But, hey, he paraded to the foul line. He made five threes. He shot 17 shots. 
in 24 minutes on the floor and scored an amazing 34 points uh, in the ballgame. And they can bring him off the bench and they can put four legitimate, dynamic three-point shooters on the floor at the same time and play small ball. And a lot of these teams can do that. And you're seeing more more and more. You know, go back a generation. I used to love these battles at the Garden when... It would be the first one to 80 for the Knicks and the Heat. Rarely did anybody get near 100 points, no less than the scores you're seeing night after night in the NBA. Last night, the Pelicans score 125. The Grizzlies score 124. The Heat score 115. The night before, 126, 110, 112. The day before that, 110, 115, 115, 120, 130. You're seeing a lot of points scored in these playoff games. It used to be playoff basketball meant you ratchet up the defense. You limit your rotation, which means you take your bench down to where you're only really playing eight guys. Some teams even seven for the most part. You limit minutes dramatically. Your starter minutes go way up. And... You see possession by possession be so tough in the second half, especially in the fourth quarter. Not the case anymore. There's a rare offense, but for the most part, you're up and down the floor. Last night, an example, the Suns, who are a championship-caliber team, played just terrible, and I mean terrible, transition defense in the second half. Utterly embarrassing transition defense in the second half of that game. You are not seeing a level of defensive intensity. You're not seeing teams be afraid to go to their bench, and you're not seeing games where you're seeing player after player in these games launching three-point shots and be amazed at how many players will shoot three-point shots in these games will attempt three-point shots in these games. It's not like one or two players. I'll give you an example. Last night for the Pelicans, who won and surprised people last night? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine different players attempted a three. So this is not just bringing a specialist off the bench anymore and having a guy knock down a three. The three is going to be where you live, A three most nights is going to be where the team attempts its most shots. And person and player after player are going to not be afraid to step up and try to make a three. And how you perform in that area a lot of times decides how these games are played and who wins. It's a completely different completely different world now in the NBA. You can have enormous leads be eradicated. You can have tremendous changes in the scoreboard because it's nothing to see a 14 or 15 point run. A couple of turnovers and a couple of bad defensive performances or bad trips. And the next thing you know, you've given up 11, 12, 13 straight points in these games. So it is a very different NBA we face in the playoffs. 
And if Booker is hurt and he's going to miss, let's say, three or four games, and we don't know yet what the status is. Last time in the season when he had this injury to his other hamstring, he missed seven games. That's regular season. But if he's out there limping, he's not going to be a very big help for a guy who's your primary scorer. Remember, he scored 31 points in the first half last night. And when he left, it was a shock, a big shock, to what was clearly an overconfident Suns team. Now, can the Suns beat the Pelicans without him? Yeah, they can. But can they win a championship without him? That's a different story. And that would make these playoffs completely They're wide open as it is, but they would be enormously wide open. They would not even be a team to beat. Because the only team that deserved to have that mantle in the NBA going into the postseason this year was the Suns. They were, by my estimate and a lot of other people's estimates, the clearly the best team in the NBA by a pretty good margin. And I thought going into the postseason uh, at full strength, they were head and shoulders better than everybody else. But if they lose their best player, all bets are off. Now, next week, remember, finally, and especially true here in New York where the Jets and the Giants have a lot of work to do and a lot of picks to play with, we're going to have the NFL draft. Finally, it is here. It's been a long time coming. It's been a very sordid, what else is new, off-season. It's been a very tough couple of months for the, N- for the NFL. And they'd like to have something to worry about despite litigation and all kinds of bad issues and lawsuits and accusations that we've had and we're still investigating. Think about the teams that are under investigation right now. The Dolphins are under investigation for a myriad of things, including did they give the coach money to throw games? Did they try and tamper with Tom Brady, who was still the, the at the time, the property of the Bucks, and offer him part ownership of the team? And or from a deal that could have swung that he would have gone there with an ownership stake in the future, but would have played. And then all the other stuff that deals with the ugliness that occurred with the coaching situation. So the Dolphins, Washington, Cleveland. You have the accusations and the allegations from Hugh Jackson. And you still have players like Watson being investigated. The NFL is still investigating him. So the NFL has a lot on its plate and a lot to deal with. But at least for a couple of days, it can put it back to where it's about building futures. And the way you do that is obviously through the draft, the lifeblood of the sport. And we'll spend some time with that. We'll have a special draft show with some guys who do the draft. You know, I don't, I pay attention. 
I watch a lot of college football, so I have my special players that I like. I, have, I always have a couple of sleeper players and a couple of players that I've kind of noticed through the years that I like. But I'm not, you know, seeing these quarterbacks. Some of these quarterbacks that we're talking about in this draft, I've never seen play. And there are a lot of interesting players at the top of this draft, both in terms of defensive game breakers and some interesting offensive players, especially on the offensive line. And considering what the Jets and the Giants are hoping to accomplish in this draft, it's a very big time for a New York fan. So we'll get into that next week. You're listening to the Mike Francesa podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. We thank you for the uh, enormous response to the podcast so far. We really do. Uh, and we want to give you a chance to get involved if you want, if you would like to. If you would like to send a question or a comment, and uh, I'm sure some of, you, uh, some of you would like to, send it to Mike Francesa podcast at gmail.com. Send it to Mike Francesa podcast at gmail.com. And we'll try to sprinkle a couple in each program if we get a chance. But make them good. Don't make them crazy, okay? Make them so that I can read them on the air, all right? Don't make it stuff that I don't want to just I'm just going to take it and throw it away because, you know, make it legitimate, okay? So Mike Francesa podcast at gmail.com. And remember, go to BetRivers.com in New York if you're listening, or in New Jersey or Connecticut, make your bets at PlaySugarHouse.com. So whatever you like to do. And they give you a myriad of bets. Uh, you got the Kentucky Derby around the corner. Unfortunately, it's hard for me even to mention the Derby this year. I have to tell you, it really is because I'm still heartbroken that High Oak will not be in the Derby. Uh, you know, I really, really thought he was going to be a major factor in the Derby this year, so it's killing me. We'll have to wait to sh- prove that he was as good as I thought he was. We'll see if we can prove that in the second half of the season. Uh, but, boy, uh, it's tough to even mention it. But we always look forward to the first Saturday in May, and we'll deal with that as we are just a couple of weeks away from the uh, Derby, which comes your way on May the 7th. Uh, Plenty of golf still ahead. You got the PGA right around the corner, then the U.S. Open right after that. And golf is fun. It really is. It's fun to bet. Um, I had um, Lowry. I picked Kepka, and he didn't make the cut. He was terrible. And until further notice, I'm going to have to back off Kepka a little bit because he hasn't been as consistent now after that great run that he had in the majors. I had won on Scheffler a couple of times. I didn't pick him because he was only 12-1 to 1 this past week, but he did a great job in the Masters. I did hit Lowry, though. Uh, at, I gave you Lowry at 45-1, to 1, and if you played him, he was 10-1 to 1 to finish in the top five, which he did. He finished third. So... Uh, I did give you Lowry as a uh, long shot, and he played well. And he wasn't a crazy long shot, but he was 10-1, to 1, which was a generous odds for the top five, and he did finish third uh, in the tournament. I know somebody who won a Masters pool because of the fact that Rory and Morikawa chipped out and hold out as they did. Do you know how crazy, do you know what the odds would be on either one of them on a hole where there's no birdies, 18? Either one of them holding out of that trap 
and then to have them both hole out of the trap on 18, as they did, it changed Masters pools everywhere. As Rory came out of nowhere to finish second, he shot 64 the last day. So he came from in the 30s to finish second. And Morikawa wound up being tied for fifth. So they impacted pools dramatically for the Masters. A lot of which deal with prize money and different things. So it changed things unbelievably. And Rory really upset everybody's apple cart by just coming from, from literally nowhere in the last nine holes to finish second uh, at Augusta and shoot a closing round 64. As we said, when we come back, Bobby Bounce. Email the Mike Francesa podcast. Drop Mike a note at podcast at gmail.com. I'm going to throw you right into the fire, Bobby, in, in this. Charlie Blackman signed a deal with Maxim to endorse the gambling site. Now, I don't know if this is legal or illegal for active players to now endorse these sites. We know that baseball is a partner. We know that all leagues now are involved in this. This is now from a general manager and ownership and a managerial standpoint, a very, very ticklish area baseball is getting into with player behavior and then have players endorsing the sites. It's very interesting, isn't it, Michael? Um, it is legal. There might be something where he can't give tips on his own team or something like that, but um, – it's really interesting. Uh, you know, with all the scrutiny, though, that we have on players today, it's not like 1919 with the Black Sox and you don't know what people are doing. I, I, I really think that, um, you know, it's just a way for him to maybe he's invested in the company or maybe he's just, uh, you know, getting another payday. It, it's, um, it's the way of the world today. Very strange. Uh, it, it, there's going to be some hard things to find where the line is in this. Uh, there's already been with a player in the NFL, as we know. It's going to be very tricky to see how this unfolds. Uh, and considering how much baseball was against this, it's almost comical that now they're in business with these guys. It just shows you how much... I mean, I, ne- I never in my lifetime thought that the leagues would be promoting active gambling. That That I never thought I would see. Well, I really think it uh, has a chance of being the way out of the doldrums for baseball. I think so many things happen in the game of baseball that uh, you could, in fact, uh, bet on, and you can, in fact, bet on. And I think if the if the teams actually uh, set up a net where the, you know their intranet uh, only is within the ballpark that you have to be at the ball game to make a particular bet or particular bets during a game, I think it could increase attendance. I do. I agree. And, and baseball's actually set up perfectly for it because you can play between every ball and strike. You could actually make another wager. Yeah, you have that time that everyone complains about, which now could be used for uh, and is being used uh, as the time to make the bet. And, you know, like uh, you never played in Venezuela, Dominican Republic or Puerto Rico or, or Mexico, the, the winter leagues. 
But in the stands during those games, between every pitch, there are bets being made between, you know, one guy with three guys. Hey, I'll bet you it's a wild pitch. Absolutely. Or, you know, and, and, and so we're just um, evolving uh, into that kind of scenario, which, I, once again, I think could be really good for baseball. Uh, it, it it could definitely make it more popular. There's no question. It's just, you know, considering baseball's stance against this whole thing through the years, it's just quite ironic the way it has unfolded. And then I see this morning Blackman actually promoting a site. And I'm like, now I've come uh, full circle. I saw a game last night, Bobby, that I categorized. I don't know if you caught it. The Yankee game was the worst 4-2 game ever ever played in the history of major league baseball. I, uh, the, the apps, I mean, you had, you had the Tigers not only drop a pop fly that or, or any of three guys could have caught with the bases loaded, but then dropped the second one in the second inning. And then I actually watched the pitcher throw the ball into the dugout while he was on the mound, while he was trying to throw it to the plate, throw it in the dugout. This was, and then watched 15 walks, and nobody could get a hit with a man on base. This was the worst. The two starters were out in the second inning, including Cole. This was the worst 4 2 game ever played. Well, sometimes you have clunkers like that. And, um, you know, I, I remember in the minor leagues, the pitcher throwing the ball in the dugout, but he did it intentionally because in those days you could yell at. And, and everyone did yell at the pitcher and yell at the opposition. And I guess someone was on this uh, one pitcher for, I think it was the, geez, the Giants minor league team. He just took the ball and flung it right into the dugout. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you know what? I, I, I and, and I'm watching last night. Nobody, this was a ball that clearly on a windy, cold night in Detroit, and it was cold, it was in the 30s, and it was windy. The ball with the bases loaded, was popped up behind the plate. The catcher turned, and you know that's a tough play for the catcher when it's back over his head and the ball's coming towards the field. But the first baseman and the pitcher, like, never moved. They just stood there, and the bases were loaded, and they let the ball drop. Well, you know, sometimes early in the season you get some clunkers, and that's one that uh, baseball's not proud of, that's for sure. Then on the other side, the Mets beat the Giants a doubleheader. First time since 1979, and the Giants are good. They got good pitching. The Mets come from behind in the first game, get a gem from Scherzer in the second game. Hey, the Mets right now are on fire. If they ever get DeGrom the way Scherzer's pitching, if they ever get DeGrom healthy, they are going to be one nasty club. Yeah, they're the one team right now that seems to be separating themselves, even though it's only 10, 12 games into the season. But, uh, you know, the, the rest of their division just uh, isn't playing the way the uh, Mets are playing. But, again, it's, it's in that 10-game, 12-game sample, and, and every team's going to go 2-8 uh, and eight before the season's over. And uh, you just don't know when it's going to happen for the good teams. I'll tell you, Scherzer's looked unbelievable. Last night, uh, seven innings, ten strikeouts, uh, one hitter, uh, Really dominant. Uh, he's already three and zero, and he looks the part. You know, he, he. You talk about what a guy brings in terms of just attitude, and toughness, and you know, and response. Taking the ball and having responsibility that I'm going to lead here. You can see that from Scherzer a mile away. 
Yeah, he, along with uh, Verlander and Kershaw, some very veteran pitchers, are off to phenomenal starts um, uh, where, where they, they actually look unhittable. And, you know, they're going to have to uh, withstand the test of time because this isn't a sprint. We're playing 162 this year. Now, a couple things have jumped out. Batting averages are even lower than they were last year. But now, for the first time in years, there were more stolen bases on Sunday than home runs. For the first time in years. Some teams have stolen more bases already than they have stolen in years. So there's been a little more accent on speed. Nobody's really hitting. And a lot of rumors about the ball. Now, it always starts with the ball. Let's go there. How much of that is in people's head, and how much is there a chance there's always something going on with the baseball? Well, I think balls are different every year because, uh, you know, there's not that real scrutiny, uh, you know, where you cut the ball in half and make sure that it's exactly the same uh, uh, inners that it was in the past. Um, But uh, they can juice up the ball possibly or – You know, maybe everyone got the memo is the memo from the analytics department that, uh, hey, you know, we can we can steal more bases. And that's like, uh, you know, hitting doubles instead of singles. Uh, Is it from the commissioner who says, hey, we need more action in the game. Let's everyone steal more bases. But without a doubt, um, uh, the the guys on the bases are moving around. No question. Even I've seen. I've seen bunts, squeezes, hit and runs, those plays of baseball that seem to have gone by the wayside seem to be all uh, resurrected, uh, and um, I think it's a good thing. Good point. I I don't think I saw a hit and run last year. I've seen a couple of them already this year. <laughs> I, I don't think I saw one. It got to the point you rarely saw guys going first to third anymore. Yeah, yeah it's... Uh, uh, Amazing how every game that you watch seems to have taken on a little different flair. And, and maybe it's because they, the memo went out that the ball's not going to travel as, as easily. Uh, or maybe it's just people realizing that we have to play baseball again. It can't be just long ball. And it's not small ball, as you well know. It's baseball. When you when you have to strategize, when you have to try to move people around the bases in a way other than just in a home run trot. Mets have had a lot of guys hit so far. And I don't think any of them intentionally. And even Buck said, I don't think anybody's been hit intentionally. I, I really don't. He says, but I think we have to do something to make sure the pitchers have control of the ball. Do you think they have to come up with something that they can use that won't give the pitcher too big an advantage as far as him spinning the ball that they could use to whatever it is? Or you're a guy who has a great history in Japan. How about this ball they use over there that has a different coating on the outside? Yeah, you know, the the ball in Japan is individually wrapped in a tinfoil-type manner to keep the, you know, manufacturer's uh, stickiness, if you will, uh, on the ball by the time it gets to the ballpark. Uh, it's quite expensive and uh, laborious, and it'd be a great thing to do if we were able to do it here. Um, but, y- you know, it is about the safety of the player. And uh, if, in fact, in this cold weather in particular, the pitcher needs a little extra help, I don't see any any reason 
that you can't give them help. Like the easiest thing in the world to do, and everyone's going to complain about this till, you know, till the hogs come home. But, you know, if you control the strike zone so that it's a true strike zone and you say, and this would have to be with robots back there, I have to say, but you say that now a strike is only when at least half of the ball is on the plate, okay? They, they call balls, pitches, strikes now that a thread's on the plate, and they think it's okay. Well, you know, if a, if a thread on the outside and a thread on the inside is okay, a pitcher's throwing their 27-inch plate instead of a 17-inch plate. That makes hitting very difficult. If you just make that strike zone what it's supposed to be, Throw it over the plate, at least half of the ball. Let's put it that way. That you have to throw it over the plate. I think the hitters would would be able to combat someone using some sticky stuff or some other uh, controlled substance that uh, helps them uh, spin the ball or throw the ball. How about uh, the clock and how it's taken so much time off the game already in the minor leagues, 20 minutes per game, do you think there is a way to make that part of Major League Baseball, or will the hitters have such a problem with it that it will still be difficult to, to enforce? No, I think it's going to be uh, a way of life. You know, with this, um, um, you know, new way of giving signs uh, where it's electronically controlled and the, the catcher just hits the button and the the pitcher has the microphone in his hat, as well as four of the fielders. They all have the microphone where they hear what the pitch is. Um, you know, that in itself will cut off uh, 10 minutes, 12 minutes of the game, make the game really uh, move quicker. Now, what the problem is, is that teams and, and pitchers haven't had enough of time to um, – get their act together. So a lot, you'll see the catcher now um, hitting the pitch and it's often on his shin guard where he has a little uh, computer and he says uh, fastball outside. The pitcher hears it in his head. So he's ready to throw the pitch before he even steps on the rubber. But because pitchers are such creatures of habit, they're still getting on the rubber and looking in for the sign, which they already have, and then going into their windup or their stretch. As soon as they become uh, habitual to just get the sign and throw the, throw the ball, you're going to eliminate seconds out of every pitch. And when you talk about the game last night in Detroit where there are 300 pitches thrown, yep. that uh, you, know, you, you automatically have a half an hour off of the game. I mean, that game was unbelievable. You had a 3-2 game for most of the game, and the game took forever. I mean, well, you had, you had a zillion <laughs> pitching changes, and you had a zillion walks, too. I mean, that was, the, that was the biggest thing. Nobody could get the ball over the plate. That was, that was the biggest issue. But, you know, it, you can see that baseball actually does see avenues to lessen the time of the games. I mean, it's, it's clearly that there is enough inaction and wasted that they want because you talk as we talked about when we opened the gambling is going to be a big part of it and that's built in for somebody sitting leisurely at the game 
having the gambling mechanism in front of them and being able to fool around during the game and, 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 and play that way, that's going to be part of it also. So you don't want to make it too quick. But if they can just take 20 or 30 minutes off a baseball game, it would make a big difference. Yeah, it, it, it would get you home quicker, that's for sure. And uh, I think everyone, everyone would be happier. And, you know, even the, the broadcast and the, the, the telecast would be crisper because there wouldn't be all this fill time that uh, a lot of lot of time is just filled with nonsense and not the game where you'd be able to talk more about the game because you're ready for the play. No, no question about it. So, I mean, do you see enough? Is 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 the amount of games we've seen now? We know in in a lot of the country, it's still cold. It's very hard to hit in the cold. Nobody wants to hit in the cold. Nobody wants to go up and hit a fastball that's jam, you know, get jammed with a fastball and, 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 and feel that when they foul a ball off. And it's just terrible to play. It's not a good sport to play in cold weather. We know that. Do you think that's a biggest, uh, as big a factor as to why we've seen so limited offense? Or do you think we're headed somewhere where we're just going to have a season where there's going to be a lot of limited offense? No, I think there's going to be plenty of offense. Uh, remember, Mike, that uh, spring training was short, and uh, everyone says, oh, it's it, the pitchers are the only ones who need spring training. Well, the fact is that when a hitter stands at the plate, it's a, it's a life-and-death situation every time he stands in there. What the heck? The bad guy's throwing a hard object 100 miles an hour in his direction. Um, and so what all – hitters need to do when they step in there is recognize that when the pitch is coming out of the pitcher's hand, that it's not going to hit them in the head. Once they figure that out, then they can determine, you know, how and where to swing. Well, you don't recognize these different pitches that different pitchers throw until you get to see enough of them. Then they become clearly recognizable. I saw the game the other day where Mike Trout, even though it was in, it was in shadows, but this is the greatest player in the game, uh, uh, according to most, and I think he is, um, you know, with an 81-mile-hour uh, curveball, he couldn't get out of the way of it because he didn't see it out of the pitcher's hands, you know? So um, as soon as that recognition process starts kicking in for hitters, they're going to be hitting these bad breaking balls, which I've seen many, many really hanging breaking balls that, that aren't getting hit out of the park only because of the lack of recognition. Where are they getting all these pitches from that all can throw 99 miles an hour now all of a sudden? Why does everybody now throw 99 miles an hour? Well, I think the information age has kicked in. And, uh, you know, that pitching skill, uh, you know, is so technical that you need to train properly first off so that your legs, your core, your shoulder – uh, and, and and your entire body can do what you want it to do. But then they also know the proper mechanics today so that they can throw the ball most efficiently. And I think it's uh, strictly because uh, the information now is for everyone. It's not just what, um, 
you know, one pitching coach had, you know, that Rube Walker had the secret and the Mets uh, were the only ones to uh, pitch a certain way. And that's why they always develop great pitchers. Uh, now everyone has the same information. And when you get into the training room and you train properly and you get on the mound and you pitch with the proper mechanic, you then can be as efficient as these guys are in throwing the ball and heck, that that hundred mile an hour uh, barrier has been broken continuously. It's ridiculous. I mean, you hear now about guys throwing one hundred two and one hundred three in the minor leagues. Guys in college throwing one hundred two, one hundred three. I'm saying, where are these guys coming from? I mean, what are they feeding them? I mean, these guys. All of a sudden, it's 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 over and over again. So you're telling me what's going on is the biomechanics the the way they are just making a more efficient pitching machine on the mound is what they're doing. Amen. I don't, I think that's as clear as clear can be. And you know, the stress on the arm uh, is also evident. And a lot of guys break because it is such a a strenuous uh, physical act. Now it's almost like they expect the pitcher to have Tommy John. Imagine a lot of young kids around the country, and I'm not being a proponent of this, but a lot of parents are having their kids have it early so that uh, they can get it out of the way. Amazing. You could imagine that. The idea (laughs) that it creates a strong, do you believe it creates a stronger arm just by the process of the, uh, the uh, operation or is that, is that crazy? No, I guess the, uh, you know, the ligament that they put in there is a stronger ligament than the one that we're born with. So unbelievable. Um, unbelievable. Yeah, it's unbelievable. What it really is. It, it just shows you how dramatically it has changed. But you watch these guys and you watch a good ball club, like you watch the Giants and the Mets or you watch any good team. They got guys who now come out of that pen throwing six, throwing 99 with a nasty slider. There's like, Three and four of them in every in, in every bullpen. Yeah, and and again, that's that's a relative thing that there are three and four in every bullpen, and so the hitters will see more of this. Remember when a guy threw a hundred miles an hour, no one hit him. Now guys throw a hundred miles an hour, and they can hit a hundred miles an hour, and that's because. You know, it's all relative because they see more 100-mile-an-hour pitches today than they did uh, when Nolan Ryan was throwing them. So um, it's easier to hit. It's What the heck, 100 uh, is only 10 miles an hour more than 90. Uh, it's only 10% faster, but uh, it's night and day in, in relative terms. Amazing. It's, it's remarkable. Uh, I mean, just... I mean, you knock a starting pitcher out, as an example, in the Yankee game. They get they get Cole, a dynamic starter, out of the game in the second inning, and they don't score the rest of the game. I mean, that's you see that yeah. a lot now. I mean, because the Yankees turn over to a bunch of really strong arms. I mean, it's remarkable that that's the, you know in the old days that didn't happen. You went to guys who were. Bad pitches who were going to fill that spot if you were ever going to take the starter out that early. You didn't want to take the starter out that early. Yeah, there, there are more good arms. There's there's absolutely no question about that. The long man that we used to have, the mop-up man that we used to have. He used to be uh, a bad starter, really right? No he used to be a guy exists. that was a bad starter. 
Exactly. Exactly. Now, now that five innings is taken up by five different guys. Right. So it's, it's unbelievable. And that's why it makes it so much tougher to hit now. I mean, the guys you hit coming out of the pen, a lot of times got better stuff than the guys you hit in the starter. You want to keep the starter in the game. Exactly. And once again, though, Mike, just to put things in perspective, uh, the, the days gone by, you know, the relief pitcher used to come in and maybe one guy would come over and say, hey, I saw this guy in the Dominican and this is what he throws. But today, when a guy comes into the game, the hitter has already seen him on film. He's already seen all the analytics about him on what pitches he throws and when he throws them. They know how quick he is to the plate out of the stretch. So it's uh, it's not that foreign uh, opposition. It's uh, it's kind of a known quantity, and uh, that should make hitting a little easier. You have, if you're looking for surprises or disappointments in the early season, um, Colorado's 8-3, and three, which surprises people, no question. Oakland, who everyone thought was going to have a miserable season because they got rid of everybody, is off 7-5, and five, uh, but they've played Baltimore the last couple of days. Give them credit for that. On the downside, Phillies are off slow at four and eight, as a, as an example. Uh, there's not too much else. I mean, Cincinnati wasn't supposed to be good, and they're off really slow. Anybody early that you're at least a little surprised by or concerned about? Not really. You know, the um, the good have been good. It's not very good, and you know, Baltimore has three wins and. Uh, I guess the and they beat the Yankees twice, and they beat the Yankees twice. They they have three wins, and they beat the Yankees twice. And somebody's going to be, you know, we mentioned this before, seventeen and two against them, and the team in that division that is is probably going to take that division. The Yankees better get it going. Yeah, I mean, you know, when you lose ground, when you lose to them in that division, you 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 lose ground to the rest of the division. There's no question about it. I mean, that's just you, you can't really afford. You can't go 500 against them and win that division. It's going to be impossible because somebody's going to have a great record against them. I totally, totally agree with that. Uh, how about the Phillies? You a little surprised by them? Yeah, I'm a, I'm a little surprised. Um, you know it. I still won't know the Phillies. When I see that team, it seems like such a hodgepodge of uh, what they are. I, I think they just um, they need they need a little better identity, and uh, they they don't have one at this time. You know, the Reds ripped Voit for what they said was a dirty slide. I I blame baseball for this. They created a nebulous area where no one knows what they're allowed to and not allowed to do to the catcher anymore. It's not old-time baseball anymore. Where the catcher knew he had to protect himself. Now, these catchers don't think they have to protect themselves at all. And, you know, it's still a fine line with the catcher. Yeah. You know, I, I liked that rule change, Mike, where, you know, you can't just hit someone when they're, you know, not expecting uh, the guy to be barreling barreling into him. Um, well, I guess they always expected it, but a lot of times they didn't see it coming. Um, and, and, you know, a slide that uh, makes contact now uh, automatically becomes a dirty slide. So, uh, you know, it, it is a fine line. But I do wish that I think we might have mentioned this already. I really do wish that 
they would reconsider uh, the slide at second base. Um, you know, to have guys turning double plays who aren't athletic, you know, really upsets me because the, the game of baseball used to have that one particular wonderful team in athletic play. That's when the shortstop or third base would get the ball and have to give a precision throw to the guy at second base who would in a split second have to catch the ball, throw the ball at first and dodge the runner who was sliding into him. It was an, it, it was an athletic event. It was, it was like uh, uh, being at the ballet and watching a spectacular performance with the second baseman and sometimes a shortstop getting out of the way, jumping over the sliding, uh, the sliding opposition. And they took that athletic play out of the game. And I think one, you get many more double plays because of it. Uh, two, you, you don't have the athleticism uh, in the middle of the infield uh, that you used to have. Uh, these shifts have guys, you know, have third basemen yep. turning double plays at second base yep. who have no, they, they shouldn't be around the base at, at second base because they're just not uh, that qualified to, to do it. So I just wish, you know, it was that one play at second base where, you know, the, the uh, New York Met, uh, what was his name? I forget. Tejada, I guess, broke his leg. Oh, sure. And yeah. Uh, yeah. I I forget the exact, but you know, bring it back. Let 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 the athletes perform. And uh, would you be a proponent of having what they use, like in in little league, having two first base, where you have the guy running to the outside base and have the inside base for the fielder? Do you like that idea? Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, the, if that's where the guy has to run, let him let him run in that straight line rather than running it in a zigzag. You know, you run inside the box and then you have to get outside the box and touch the base. It's ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, that one does that make that one. I think that would actually make it easier for the umpire, too, as a matter of fact, in, in the long it, run. I think it would. So yes. I, 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 safer, I, I, sure. All right, thing. Bobby. Enjoy. <laughs> we'll talk to you next week. Uh, have a good week, and uh, we'll see what happens uh, as we uh, turn the page to May. Stay healthy, Mike. Thanks Thank a you, lot, Bob. man. Take care. All right, Bye-bye. Bobby Valentine uh, here on the Mike Francesa podcast as he will join me each and every week. You know, in this uh, podcast where we did some NBA and we did baseball, I wanted to mention when I, uh, in the podcast I did last week, I'm pretty sure it was last week. It might have been the week before, but I'm pretty sure it was last week. I mentioned this HBO program uh, on the Lakers that I said I had to admit was unbelievably entertaining, but was really, really demeaning to a couple of legendary people, including Jerry West and I thought Pat Riley, but Jerry West, they made it to be an absolute madman. Well, Maybe you've seen that the HBO series Winning Time has been sued by Jerry West, who is demanding a retraction and an apology for what his lawyers have called a baseless and malicious assault on the character of this legendary performer. Now, you probably know, even if you're young, you know who Jerry West is. 
You know that Jerry West was one of the great basketball players of all time. He is the NBA logo. Okay, that's Jerry West. I mean that that was the, that was made out of Jerry West's form. Okay, and Jerry West, who was a legendary Laker for his whole career, and then has been really deified for being one of the great, great talent evaluators in the history of basketball, if not the greatest talent evaluator in the history of basketball. He is phenomenal out of these built championship team after championship team. Well, they have depicted him in this thing as a absolute mental case, which I mentioned a couple of weeks ago. Uh, And they say that not only does it bear no resemblance to the man, but that they feel that the West family and Jerry have come under incredible distress because what Jerry West has is his legacy. What Jerry West has is how people remember him. And he is crushed that he is being depicted to a whole new generation of people on this HBO series, which he has clearly watched. Like I said, if somebody watched it with Pat Riley, who we know Pat Riley really well. I feel I know Pat Riley really well because I spent a lot of time with him through the years, especially when he was here with the Knicks. Pat Riley is a tough man. He is an incredibly competitive man and an incredibly prideful man. Okay? You know the style he created, his look and everything else. Check out how they depicted him in this program. Now, you're watching his metamorphosis during the program as he's starting now to evolve It's the last episode into the Riles who's going to become the big coach who becomes the, you know, Gordon Gecko-looking coach with the outfits and the hair and the whole thing. And then becomes this legendary guy. But it's unbelievable how he's depicted. And the way West is depicted is mind-blowing. I don't know. It's a fine line here. I don't know if he can or his lawyers can do anything. I don't know if they can get this stopped. I mean, they're calling it fiction. They're saying they took license. They admit they did not follow any book or anything closely where it's supposed to be anybody's depiction of them in real life. It's their quote unquote license. What's legal and what's not what's harmful and what's not fascinating to see where this goes from here. Betrivers.com in New York for all your wagering needs. Sugarhouse.com in Jersey and in Connecticut, same company. There's their Bet Rivers in New York and some other states. Their Sugar House in Connecticut and Jersey. You can get the uh, podcast at BetRivers.com. You can get it on YouTube, on Spotify, on Apple. Everywhere you can get podcasts, you can get the Mike Francesa podcast there. We'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to the Mike Francesa podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. Hey, it's Mike Miss here. What a time to be a Philly sports fan, and you can share the excitement with me each week. 
on the Mike Missanelli podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. Listen and subscribe to the Mike Missanelli podcast today, wherever you get your podcasts.